It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. And thank you for being with me this morning, wherever you might be listening around the globe. And around the globe is indeed true, as WGN has heard virtually everywhere. And then after the show, as you know, WGN puts this up on podcast. And so you can listen again if you would like whatever you want or send it on to your friends. This morning, I'm going to start off with Africa. And Africa's on my mind because I've been to the International Order of Theodore Roosevelt, uh, first annual convention, CICAR, which is a group of very dedicated conservationists, many of whom have long-term interests in Africa. That convention just ended. <clears throat> Safari Club International had its huge convention in Nashville, Dallas Safari Club. All these organizations over the past three months have come together as they do annually. And in the case of International Order of T. Roosevelt, the first time they've come together, and it was a absolute smashing success. Unbelievable how well their first annual event went. And they're an organization that's going to do a lot of good in the world in helping to join and saving really important habitats. Uh, but the focus of all discussion in these Four gatherings, the major conservation groups, which have the biggest influence on Africa's outcome outside of the World Wildlife Foundation, is what is happening with these bans on hunting in Africa and how these bans on not only hunting, but now that that the United Kingdom uh, has passed uh, a ban on the importation of any number of animals from Africa, what birds not just ivory, but all kinds of things that were that are taken by hunters. What is this going to do to conservation in Africa? And the overwhelming perspective is Africa is on the clock, and if we don't act quickly, we are going to see an incredible reduction in big game across sub-Sahara Africa, Tanzania, Botswana, Namibia, the whole area is going to to see, and this is an extremely large area. In Tanzania alone, they have national parks that are, uh, well, they're many, many, many times the size of Yellowstone National Park, which allows free-roaming herds. But hunting in all of these countries is extremely important. And we think of the photo safaris that take place, and you go to Africa and you're shown, you're driven around and you're shown the big five, uh, animals and you see all kinds of wildlife, that's just a fraction of the economic support that is necessary to keep big game herds wild and free in Africa. And so there is a true concern that the world does not understand that Africa's wildlife is dependent upon the ability of people from around the world to come to Africa and to hunt. And if that goes away, Wildlife is going away with it. Big game populations will plummet. And one need not look too far back in history to realize what happened with Kenya. When Kenya outlawed big game hunting in the 1970s, and within one year, over 150,000 elephants were poached for their ivory and their hides by poachers. The elephant population in 
Kenya completely collapsed. That's the history lesson we have, and it's happened elsewhere in Africa. When you take hunting out of the equation, wildlife populations collapse. So the combination of photo safaris and camps and hunting safaris are what maintains big game populations in Africa. And if hunting goes away, big game is gone because photo safaris cannot pick up the slack. There's just not enough demand. So why is this so important? Because no one is asking the African people what they want to do. And a very good friend of mine has said this so well. The policies for Africa are made in London and Washington and Los Angeles and New York and Paris. No one's sitting down at the table with the African villagers, the people who live in the bush, the people who live with the big game every single day, and say, what do you want to have happen to your future? They will tell you, we want hunting as part of our culture. First of all, it's part of our heritage, but we depend on the income that hunting provides and hunting concessions provides for us to be able to live with marauding elephants that trample our crops to live, and this is, you, we find this hard to believe sitting here in Chicago, Illinois, that you walk out in the bush in Tanzania today or walk out in the bush in Botswana today and you may not come back because you'll be eaten by a lion. That's real. It's, it's not the movies. This is real life. And these individuals and villages and families put up with this because at the end of the day, that's a very viable financial resource for their communities. And without it, they're not going to have lions. Why would you tolerate a lion killing someone in your family? They're going to kill the lions. They're going to kill the elephants. They're going to kill the rhinoceros. They're going to kill the hippopotamus. They're going to be gone. And the ivory tower, if you will, of New York and London and Washington and around the world from people who have no connection to Africa at all, saying, well, we just have to end hunting because it's terrible to kill an elephant. And it's terrible to kill a lion, or it's terrible to kill a rhinoceros or hippopotamus, don't understand the, how the African people live. These are people who have lived in time immemorial the same way. They're in the bush. They live with the animals, and hunting sustains their lifestyle, and hunters from around the world paying to come and shoot an animal is what sustains their lifestyle. This is not a slaughter of animals, as poachers do. The moment we get rid of hunting in Africa, you are going to see poachers move in, just like happened in Kenya. The worst decision Kenya ever made was to stop stop big game hunting. They, they paid a terrible price. And I don't know why the world doesn't understand this. And so at the International Order of T. Roosevelt or Chikar or Safari Club, really smart people are talking about this. And they're saying, what are we going to do? Well, there is something we can do. And again, it comes from leadership in the conservation community. And I think of individuals who are iconic, individuals like John Banovich, who's arguably the finest wildlife artist in, in, in history for Africa, individuals like Chris Dorsey and others who are coming together to say, we need to take the message of Africans to the world. Enough of having the UN and places like that tell Africans what they're going to do and take away their right to lead their lives the way they need to do it. So I would expect in the coming couple of years, there's going to be a major communications move led, as it always is, by conservationists, 
a major move to try and have individuals around the world understand the Africans have to have a seat at the table. Sub-Sahara Africa is going to decide their future. And if we end big game hunting, just watch the cattle herds in Tanzania rip apart what is today left of these fantastic migratory wild wild corridors. If the wildebeest don't have any value, the wildebeest will be gone, and they will be replaced by cattle. And the cattle will destroy what is left of the flora and fauna in, in sub-Saharan Africa. That's a fact. It's not, it's not something that, that we're making up. That is going to happen. So we, I think we really have to begin a communications campaign probably led on the giant screen. In fact, I would offer absolutely led on the giant screen to educate the world about the lives of the people in Africa and what they want to do and how they want to live. And it shouldn't be somebody in a building somewhere in London deciding this is how the African people should live because this will save the wildlife. They are clueless and they are wrong, and we will face the extinction of, of enormous herds. The other thing that's going on in Africa, I'm going to go on a break here in just a moment, is we are asleep, completely asleep, at what is taking place with the Chinese in Africa and buying up the natural resources. The, it, it's appalling that, that we have allowed, well, not allowed, that we simply were not there at the table. The, Af, the, the Chinese have come in, and I have nothing against the Chinese except they are plundering the natural resources of Africa. And I say this from personal experience and from talking to a lot of people who know a lot more about Africa than, than, most, than most people. They're building roads. They're building railroads. They're taking out raw materials. They are bribing everybody they can bribe. And if you are between what the Chinese want in Africa and what, and what they want to get, you're going to be taken out. You're going to be put either in prison. You're going to, someone's going to be bribed. You are going to lose your land. The Chinese are taking over sub-Sahara Africa, and we're sitting here asleep at the switch, which is also a huge threat to the future of wildlife. We know that there is no greater commercial trade, illegal, in ivory, than ivory leaving Africa and going to China as an aphrodisiac. Many of the poaching rings are funded by China, and here we are trying to fund or Chinese interests, I should say. Here we are trying to fund anti-poaching operations so that we can save games so they can be managed. And on the other side of the spectrum, there are groups being funded to have poachers come in and take the ivory and take the wildlife. If you take hunters out of the equation in Africa, it's over. There won't be anybody else to look after Africa. The Chinese will own it. The big game will be gone and the world will have lost something incredibly rich. I'm going to talk more about this in the coming weeks, but it's time to act. We, we are on the clock in Africa. And while it's a long way from Chicago, Illinois, in the WGN studio this morning, it should be front and center on our minds. How are we going to save the big game in Africa? How are we, in fact, going to save the African way of life? It comes back to one thing. We have to have hunting in Africa, or there won't be wildlife. I'll be back in just a moment with more on the great outdoors. I thank you so much for listening. This is Charlie Potter, and now a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. 
When sunrise is your alarm clock, life is different. You eat a ditch for breakfast. Love the smell of diesel in the morning with a hot cup of joe. The weather report is 40% chance of mud. And corporate pull, that's 36,000 pounds of towing capacity with a gooseneck trailer. Mudden is PTO. You know sometimes when the paved road ends, the fun begins. Chevy Silverado 3500 HD is waiting to run over something, anything. No road, no problem, because the best way out is always through. A trouble rides a swift horse, and you don't want trouble pulling a backhoe loader. Chevy Silverado HD is a wake-up call. Now, during Chevy truck season, get a $1,000 accessory allowance toward the purchase of a new truck with accessories. You worked hard for your money. Spend it smart. So see your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer today or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for all the details. Chevy Silverado HD. Power up and experience life in HD. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back. Thank you for listening. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago, the Great Outdoors show on WGN Radio. I'll have much more in the coming weeks on Africa as I think the rhetoric is definitely being dialed up, and hopefully WGN can do what it does so well, provide a voice for those who are concerned about the future of whatever it might be. The Great Outdoors show has been a, a, great, a great place, a great microphone for over 50 years for world and national issues and conservation to be discussed. And I think the African one is as big as, as, big as any there is. But I'm going to leave Africa, and I'm going to come back to the United States. Last week, I talked about being on the barrier islands and how magical it was. A couple things come to mind. When you sleep outside on the barrier islands, the frogs, the noise of the frogs. I grew up on a farm, as many of you know from listening all these years, in, uh, outside of Chicago, and the deep croaking of a bullfrog at night with the window open and the heat of July and the humidity coming from our marsh was a sign that all was well with the world. And I guess it's, I went to sleep with the croaking of frogs and I woke up with the croaking of frogs. And it's a sound that for me personally, I love as much as, as any there is. So barrier islands, wetlands, full of frogs all night long. Windows are open, and you hear the croaking of tree frogs. And I'm not a frog expert, but you hear multi-species. And one big frog, no bullfrogs, though. You, one big frog will start to croak, and another one will, and another one will. And the next thing you know, you have this absolute symphony, symphony of frogs. It's a chorus. And, and someone's can, some frog there, on, and you close your eyes, and you lay there and listen. Some frog is the conductor. And, they, and that frog says something, whatever it says, and the chorus starts over here. When the chorus starts over there, a pond 100 yards away, another chorus starts, and the, and, the, and the world is just alive. The night is just alive. It, it's, it's something that, that to me, is, is the sound that all is right with the world because frogs can only live in pristine environments. And one of the reasons we have had such a decline in frog populations across the Midwest is our water is not pristine. These ponds are filled with nitrogen and other chemicals, pesticides. So the frog population we all know across the Midwest is way down. We don't know how many because we'd never, we, we don't have that kind of data and we'd just be making it up if we said, well, we know how many frogs there are. We have no idea. But there are substantially less frogs than there used to be. 
and that booming bullfrog that, that so many of us may remember from the camping out in the summer or living near a, a marsh or a pond is a lot rarer in the Midwest. It is alive and well on the barrier islands of Georgia and South Carolina. It's absolutely fabulous. There's something else that's alive and well, and that is tree storks. I had the pleasure for the first time of seeing a nesting, I've seen them in Louisiana, but never in the barrier islands, a nesting colony of wood storks. Great big birds, they nest in trees, and they're colony nesters, and it's very easy to see how the poachers in the late 1900s were nearly able to, to completely wipe out these bird populations because they all nest together. They're colony nesters, and the next thing you know, you know, you could shoot them all, or throw. They actually they threw they 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 threw nets over them. When the thankfully when the hat trade for feathers ended, we began a long climb back of so many bird species. And that, by the way, that was not hunting. That was simply taking of animals to be sold for commerce. That is not hunting. So the wood storks have recovered probably, well, as much as they're going to recover, and they've recovered fantastically. And I was on this barrier island, and there was a colony of wood storks on a small island in the middle of a pond, marshland. And to listen to the wood storks sit on their nests, and a, and a, a bird would fly off the nest and fly out to the east and over the marsh. You'd go out of sight. A few minutes later, though, here come back, and it had a little minnow in its mouth or sometimes a bigger fish. Sometimes it came back with a stick to help build a nest. And if you stand there long enough, you can watch the birds. The, the female will take off and go to the marsh. The male will stay. She comes back. The male takes off. And there are hundreds of these wood storks on this island. Uh, and it's happening all over the coastal south of the Gulf Coast as well as uh, the Carolinas. So different part of the world. You see different things. Spring is certainly here in Illinois. In fact, some days it actually feels like maybe summer is here. There's so much to do in the great outdoors. I hope that you enjoy this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I'll be back next Sunday morning with much more in the great outdoors and maybe a talk about an overabundance. We've gone from drought to an overabundance of water in parts of the West, which is creating problems we haven't had in a long time. Thanks again. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice, Chicago and America, 720 WGN.